0: Welcome everybody to the Eyes Zone Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host Jeffrey the Greek, joined on Wednesdays by. This is Dustin Shooty. Dustin, you on Twitter? I am. I am at Shooty Dustin. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. For some people, uh, podcasts might be a distraction this week. Obviously, there was horrible news out of uh, Virginia. Uh, anybody that is tied to the Virginia football program or knows people, obviously thoughts go out to them. Um, Big Ten ties uh, that, that people figured out this week. Uh, one of them is Michigan center Olu Oluwotini, uh was just on the Virginia football squad for the last couple of years. So he will be playing with a heavy heart this weekend uh, for Michigan, obviously, and then even closer to home, which is obviously the, the worst news is former Wisconsin wide receiver Devin Chandler, unfortunately one of the players uh, uh, that lost his life this week in Virginia. So a little bit tough to do any kind of podcast or college football stuff this week, unless you bring that up. So we definitely wanted to acknowledge that again, thoughts and prayers to anybody involved with that tragedy. All right, moving in to the next uh, uh, news item at hand here. We've got a couple coaching searches that, you know, with Nebraska and Wisconsin, um I mean, with Nebraska, it's it's been on the forefront of their football season for, I mean, it's only been a couple months. It feels like it's been going on for a couple years at this point. And if it feels that way to us, I can't even imagine how it feels uh, to Nebraska fans. um, they they there has been I mean, go shocker, you know, shocker, Go figure that Nebraska fans three or four different times thought the next day was going to be the day that they found out that their coach, uh, was getting announced, and of course, as we record this on Wednesday night, uh, the fifteenth, we still have not got the announcer. Sixteenth, excuse me, we still have not got the announcement of of who the coach is. Anyway, start out with that, DS. Any
1: thoughts on the Nebraska coaching surge? Uh, well, I'm going to go back a few weeks when I wanted to bring up Neon Dion, uh, and I was told I would get laughed at live on on the podcast, so I decided I would steer clear of that. Look. The only thing I'm going to say about Deion Sanders and why I like it, well, there's actually a couple things. Number one, his recruiting at Jackson State has been outstanding. It was, to me, in this era of college football where you have to sell a little bit something different because we you can argue whether Nebraska is still a blue blood or not. I don't really care. It's It makes no difference to me one way or another. But there's no doubt that it's probably not as attractive as a place to go as Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama. So you have to be a little bit different. I think Dion's a little bit different, and does he not have that same sort of like arrogance, confidence? But I'm going to back it up that Nebraska fans I feel like would love to have based on their Twitter uh, feud, mostly with each other. But I just I feel like he would. A lot of people say it's an awkward fit. I think based on my Twitter interactions, I think it's a I think it's a home run.
0: Wow, I've never looked at it like that. That's that's very interesting. I mean, to me, it's just. I of man, Neon Dion at Nebraska, you know, with his rivals being Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota chiefly every year. It's just, it's just hard for me. I mean, the other thing I think about is, Deion Sanders towards the end of his NFL career, basically diving out of the way of tackles so that he he could remove the physical part of football away, for, you know, from his game. I don't think that fits in great to the Big Ten West, but but the swag and you know wanting to be the top. I mean, I, I you, you bring up some good points there. That's interesting.
1: And by the way, um, <laughs> I felt like Scott Frost was going to get fired again after the Michigan game. Did you see? <laughs> Every, I mean, it. I thought he was still on the sideline based on all the slander I saw. That was, it was insane. It was like they they resurrected him just to kill him again.
0: Yeah, well, I think basically what that is is again, Nebraska fans. Obviously, the the losses have been adding up. They want some good news to happen. When yep. the good news hasn't given been given to them on who their coach is going to be, they had to find somebody else to jump all over. So Scott Frost was probably the best candidate <laughs> to have. As far as the other coaches, Urban Meyer has gotten thrown out there. Again, Would be, 100% would have to believe that when I saw it. Um, Dave Aranda was the hot name at ver- that every Nebraska fan wanted. Braylor has been losing some football contests. He seems to have gone off of the list a little bit, but still kind of around there. Mickey Joseph, obviously the current interim coach, was somebody that a ton of fans were very interested in. He also seems to be dropping back a little bit. I think the general consensus is that he would stay on the staff as long as the next coach is okay with it. He has obviously done a good job holding team together, recruiting and whatnot. It sure seems to be that the name that's getting thrown out there with the most validity to it is Matt Matt Rule. Uh, formerly at Temple, Baylor, and then a not so good run in the NFL. Not that that really means anything for college, but any thoughts quickly on how you feel about Matt Rule?
1: I mean, I think he has just from a a personality standpoint. There's a little to me a little bit of Bo Pelini to him. He's got kind of that aggressive, but he, I don't think he's a guy that would go after the fan base. I mean, he did a lot of really good things at Temple. Uh, I think that I think he was the head coach of Temple when they had that ten sack performance against Christian Hackenberg and Penn state back in 2015 or 16, whatever year that was. Um, And then to go down to Baylor and turn like a losing program, a a program that had been, you know, kind of in shambles after the art Briles stuff to resurrect them too. Um, I think he would be a good fit. I don't think it would be flash of the pan, something where it's going to turn around in a year or two. I think what you wanted to see from Scott Frost was gradual improvement I think you would get that with Matt rule and then they would sustain some sort of success. Like, like you see with Wisconsin or Iowa or even PJ Fleck at Minnesota. I think he can bring that kind of stability.
0: Uh, Agree. And uh, uh, sure seems like there's a lot of Nebraska fans that are not fired up about Matt rule as an Iowa fan. Here's my take. I hope they don't hire Matt rule. That's, (laughs) that's the best way I can say it, which I would think would be a nod to what I, I actually think for Nebraska fans. The other coach, Search, there's only been one name on the list. We're talking about Wisconsin, obviously. Uh, Pretty much everybody uh, that I follow on Twitter wants it to be Leon Hard, a.k.a. Jimmy Leonard. Um, I've had some DM messages with some good Wisconsin guys, Super K and Ben Kenny. Um, I think there's frustration among Wisconsin fans. Uh, Essentially, get it over with already. I believe if I was, was a Wisconsin fan, I would feel the exact same way. Just get it over already. Um, There's a little discrepancy on if they, they haven't actually posted the job opening yet. And there Mm. is debate on that. If he, they, they actually need to post the job open opening and have it out for a week before they can legally or officially hire the coach. It's still not posted that to my knowledge of the time that we've recorded this podcast, if that's accurate, that brother, that makes no sense to me on why they wouldn't have it posted. I don't know. AD Chris McIntosh, he's kind of new in his job. Uh, this has not been a smooth process at this point.
1: And by the way, um, Jim Leonard kind of alluded to the fact that we need to get something done here in his last. Uh, I think it was the post game. I don't know if it was the post game presser, if it was the the week. Uh, I just saw it on Twitter, the weekly presser. But he said. Look, I don't want to say teams are poaching, but teams are poaching. Right. If you have some stability there, those players are going to look elsewhere because they don't know what their future holds. So get the job done. Um, and it also makes me – it's hilarious that you bring up that they have to post it. That probably is true, but it reminds me of like – I think there was when Michigan posted the job before Harbaugh, some guy sent in his resume from like NCAA 2014. Sure, sure, yeah. Do it. Why not? It's amazing.
0: Um, and I don't know about you, but whenever when I heard – uh, Leon Hard say, I'm not saying they're posting that they're they're uh, uh taking players, but they're doing it. That reminds me of the ancient aliens guy, you know, with the crazy hair. He's oh, yeah. like, Listen, <laughs> I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. <laughs> um, anyways, long story short, I, I like the thing I thought would happen was after Purdue, that was a big win. You've got momentum, as crazy as it sounds, because obviously these. Coaching decisions, you have to make them with the understanding that it's a two, three year process. With that being said, the how happy a fan base is just after one win or just after one loss is immense. Like fans yeah. feel a lot better after they win a game as opposed to losing one. They are favored to win a game this weekend. The fan base is feeling good. They're bull eligible. I don't know, man. It might not be a bad time to do it. Especially if you put it up against the potential that they could lose Nebraska and Minnesota or beat Nebraska, lose to Minnesota, their top rival, and then you have to announce it after the loss. I don't know, man. There's not a lot of great options here for Macintosh,
1: and you would think you would want to get the
0: best one on the plate here pretty quick.
1: That's that's a great point. I did not even think about that. The, after the Purdue win, because I think, didn't after that game, they had a bye week, too, so it would have been ideal timing. Yeah.
0: 100%. Yeah. Anyways, we'll see how those goes. We got some anxious fans. Don't blame them. All right. So moving on to our obviously most popular segment of the week. The bothers my big. Uh, We're going to leave the college football playoff alone. There was really no changes in the top 10 or so from last week to this week. We've kind of entered that season. Plus that we've entered SEC Patsy season. I mean, pretty much everybody in the top 10, not named USC is not playing a very good uh, opponent this week, especially in the sec. Uh, But the big West slander has just fired up again, you know, like to a certain degree, it's like big West teams and fans and coaches are just sitting here. Like, what are we doing here? You know, like, like what is, what is the big deal here? Um, Anyways, the first thing I would put up, I guess is just uh, the big 10 West is the only like good race pretty much throughout all of college football. So You know, like obviously nobody is sitting here saying that the Big Ten East is is or the Big Ten West is as good as the Big Ten East, especially at the top. It is obvious. Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State are the best. With that being said, after Ohio State and and Michigan both beat Penn State, this race has been over until the last game of the year. And you you compare that to the Big Ten West. There's a team that's going to win the Big Ten West that changes seemingly every Saturday. I guess long story short is like, what is this mythical perfect race that people are looking for where you have two or three great teams, but it goes down to the end? You can't fight it. I mean, the Big Ten West is about as compelling of a race as you can find.
1: I think it's a bunch of no fun havers, people, old man yelling at cloud or something like they're just so high on the college football. Can I correct
0: you? Can I correct you? Yes. I think it's
1: young boy yelling at crowds. Yes. That okay. that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> yes. That's a, that's that's a good correction right there. True. It's all it's all based on the playoff. And I tweeted this out earlier in the week when because Fox College Football Fox tweeted out a graphic and it was, you know, all the teams jumbled up there at the top and everybody was saying it's trash and what a terrible division yada yada yada. I'm like, I feel like 90% of you people are just jealous that your team is out of the race in November. Meanwhile, there are four, four realistic, but potentially five if you count Wisconsin in the Big Ten West race right now. And it's going to come down to the final weekend of the season. Like, you don't have to have the college football playoff to have meaningful, exciting football. And I love everything about that. This is what it's like in the Big Ten West every year. Now, there's been years where it's been decided like maybe a week or two before or something along those lines. But as far as I remember, there's been some like, well, if a team slips up in the final two weeks, X or Y can go to the, go to the big 10 championship game. Like it's, there's always some sort of entertaining factor right. to this.
0: I think you just nailed something that I have never considered. Um, I, I'll say Ole Miss. Okay. I, I just pulled them out of a hat but Ole Miss could probably wind up going. I haven't really looked at the record, but my guess is like nine and three, maybe even 10 and two. Uh, but because they're, you know, in a tough division with Alabama and LSU, they're out of the race. Whereas their fan bases think if we were in the Big Ten West, we would be dominating that division, yada, yada, yada. That's why they're ticked. I think that's actually a fantastic point. Um, and,
1: uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and the the problem I have too is, The Big Ten West, to me, is the one that always gets beat up, right? But here's some facts for you. Since 2014, when the Big Ten switched to the East at West divisions, the SEC East has won just one SEC championship game. So the Big Ten West – or the – excuse me, the SEC West has dominated that. Dating back to 2011, the ACC Coastal has won two ACC championship games. One of those – was last year with Pitt winning because Clemson was not good. And then the other one was in 2020 when they added Notre Dame to the damn conference and had to shift Clemson to the other division. So really just one time. So I understand.
0: And the big Big 12 doesn't have divisions and the PAC 12 has been dung for until, until this year.
1: Exactly. And so I, I just don't understand, like, I, I'm not giving the Big Ten West a pass. Like they've, There's been a few games that maybe they could have won. I, but it's not like these other divisions in these other conferences are going 50-50 or even 70-30. It's basically there's one really good division in each uh, or there's one really good team usually Correct. in one division as opposed to the other division that usually maybe has a little bit more depth and is a little bit more entertaining to watch.
0: It's not even low-hanging fruit at this point. It's it's fruit that's fallen on the ground, and people are cho- choosing to walk over to that tree and stomp on it just because I don't know. That's they've got darkness in their heart. I, I I don't. I again, it's like everybody in the Big Ten West owes people in the country money. I I don't get it. I don't understand why they're that upset. Uh, then the last bothers my big that also is tied with the Big Ten West is I, I don't get it. This is mostly talking to Ohio State and Michigan fans. Where they are upset, they're already upset that they have to play Iowa or Purdue from the Big Ten West and the Big Ten Championship, even before we know who wins the game and is going to be in Indianapolis. I'll be honest with you, I mostly see it from Michigan fans. It is the hardest thing for me to comprehend because essentially the winner of the Michigan-Ohio State game is going. They're going to the college football playoff. If there's a little bit of a slip-up from Georgia, they might be a number one seed, but essentially you're playing for the one or two seed. That is a prime spot to be. There's right. there is many Michigan fans and some Ohio State fans that would rather see no divisions, which this year means you would have a rematch and you would be playing the Michigan-Ohio State game two weeks in a row. I don't get it. I have, I have questioned Michigan and Ohio state fans to even try to understand the psychology behind it. I still have yet to hear an explanation to
1: make it make sense to me. Okay. So here's my, so people like us who are normal thinking, (laughs) rational thinking people don't want to (laughs) see, we don't want to see Ohio state Michigan or any rivalry game twice. And especially not in back-to-back weeks. Here's, where I think maybe I can understand the line of thinking because it happens by the way, I don't know why I watch the college football playoff ranking show that is trash, but that's for another day. Um, there, there's always this narrative that, well, what happens if Ohio state or Michigan loses to that team in the big 10 West and this in other years, it's been a ranked Wisconsin or a ranked Iowa team. So you can maybe if they lose, it's not as big of a deal this year. I can kind of understand where, would they allow Tennessee to slide in there or what's the case? Do they allow the team that didn't go to the, the big 10 championship game to get into the college football playoff? So I kind of understand because the big 10 West, there's not going to be a team in there. That's probably going to be ranked. So from that perspective, I get it, but man, I just, I would not want to play. Can you imagine if Michigan beat Ohio state in the final week, Ohio state turns around beats Michigan in the conference championship game. And then Ohio state gets to go anyway. I, I
0: I have tried to lay that exact same scenario out to both pieces. and I, it's like they don't have the ability to understand that there is actually a negative way that this right. could affect their, they they just see the fun or the positive outcome. I don't think they've spent any time actually putting themselves in the shoes. Like the one that I think about the most is Ohio state be, uh, gets beat by Michigan because it's the elements. It's a cold weather game. Michigan's more built That's- for it. Then they rematch inside a dome and Ohio State beats them. Like I don't think Michigan fans have put themselves in their shoes. The right. other side of it, too, is again the path to get to the promised land, which both these programs want to get to is the college football playoffs. So I I told you I had an analogy. So here's my analogy. This would be like, now I, I'm I'm happily married. Okay. I've been with my wife for over a decade, but I remember my 20s, you know, like I it wasn't so long ago. And I remember being a single guy going to weddings, right? And you get to the wedding reception and essentially you're, you're looking at what the bridesmaid lineup is, you know, like what the single lady situation is. And then you start looking at who your competition is for dudes for the aforementioned bridesmaids. So you beat, you, you beat out the rich guy. You beat out the good looking guy. You beat out the ugly, but pretty funny dude. That's Iowa, by the way. And then what you're trying to tell me is after you finally get the lucky, beautiful lady back to your hotel room, you want Pete Davidson at the hotel lobby. That's what you're saying. You want one gigantic other hurdle you got to get past. Brother, that don't make no sense. I, I I just want my clear path to get where I want to get. I love that
1: it's Pete Davidson because that's the world we live in now.
0: All right, all right. We better move on. I think we're already like 15 minutes into this intro. We got seven games to cover. You ready to go, brother? I'm ready, man. All right, we got all 14 teams in action. Seven games, zero teams idle all games this Saturday, November 19th. Again, check the local weather because it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas out there. At least it is in my neck of the woods. First game up, the 7-3, and Illinois fighting Illini coming in to Michigan to take on the Number three, ranked 10th, 10 and 0 Wolverines. This is an 11 o'clock AM game on ABC line Wolverines by 18 over under 42. So Vegas is saying something like 31 to 13 Wolverines. For those that don't know it, you know, it seems to be the case. I'm I'm going to make the call right now from our, our Illinois insider, Big Kurt, Chase Brown is not going to play in this game. I believe Vegas knows that Chase Brown isn't going to play in the game, and that's where we've kind of seen the line settle and kind of move up a little bit. But that's one of the big storylines in this game, along with the fact that Michigan and Ohio State, the week before the big game, a little bit of distraction there, but that's kind of the main storylines that you have for this game.
1: Yeah, I was really excited about this game a couple weeks ago, assuming that Chase Brown was going to be healthy, uh, Illinois was going to be rolling. And then then, as you just mentioned, the the trap game factor, right, right before um, right before the game. So, um, look, I think that Brett Bielema has a really good way of firing up his team. And I think he's going to be able to manufacture the fact that they've lost two two straight games. Um, they're hanging on to their division hopes here. They need two big wins. I think he's going to get a feisty team. You saw it a little bit in that, well, you actually saw it a lot of it in that Purdue game. That team was fighting. They were together. It just it just didn't work out. And I think that's kind of what you're gonna see. Um I think I've talked about this multiple times this season, but when you don't have a Chase Brown, I think you take your shot early in this game and try to set the tone, try to score early in this game. Cause I don't think you're gonna be able to ground and pound the same way you did earlier. This season, So to, for me, when I'm looking at Illinois taking that field, I, if I win the coin toss, I'm taking the football and three or four plays in, I'm taking my first shot and, and trying to get up early on Michigan.
0: I could not. I literally have the same notes written down right here. You basically <laughs> read off my sheet um, that I had basically what Kurt has told me. And this is what I believe as well, is that some running backs are so special that they make average offensive lines look good. That's what Chase Brown is. He's that special where he's made a, okay, but not great. Illinois offensive line look good. Now this offensive line has to go against an insanely good Michigan front seven. I just don't see the available yards in the rushing attack for Illinois in this game. Maybe uh, Reggie Love can prove me wrong. I'm not 100% sure if Josh McCray is playing, but it doesn't look good. So we're really kind of down to our third and fourth string running backs. The other thing too. As I rewatched the Michigan-Nebraska game, um, Nebraska did not have a lot of success, okay? But if you go to the beginning part of the game where there was a little bit of a plan of attack uh, from Whipple and from uh, uh, Chuba Purdy, he, there was available yards there versus the Michigan defense a little bit in the throw game, even more so with letting the uh, receivers clear out the zone. And then Purdy just took off running the ball. Tommy DeVito can do that too. That is the aggressiveness. By the way, we're basically coming up with conspiracy theories on how we think Illinois can make this a game. Okay, Michigan fans, like, I think Michigan's going to win this game. But if we're going to see a game, I think that's what you're gonna have to see out of Illinois.
1: Well, and I think, too, I think Brett Bielema is smart. If they had Chase Brown, if they were at full strength, even if they had Josh McCray and Reggie Love, you, those are still two pretty good, uh, solid backs. I think he would stick with his plan of attack. I think he knows he's doing the same thing we are. I think he's you know, doing this these theories of how they can put up points, how they can get some yards, because he knows his traditional way is just not going to work. Against Michigan. And on the other side, I'm really, I am really interested to see what Illinois' defense does because we've talked about Michigan is Michigan. They're going to probably start slow. Um, I I think actually Illinois' defense is going to hold Michigan to a couple field goals here early in this game. And I think it's going to be an interesting contest. But a- at some point, I just think Blake Corm's going to do Blake Corm things. He's going to bust off a big play or two. It won't be a lot, but he'll have those one or two plays. JJ M- McCarthy will do just enough and they'll be able to wear down. The Illinois defense, because I think ultimately Illinois might have a little bit of success, like you said early in the game, but I think ultimately Illinois defense is going to be have to be on the field way too much. And eventually Michigan will just do what Michigan does and wear them down.
0: Again, we could have the same show notes list that we're going off <laughs> of because I have the same stuff. I I think I think JJ McCarthy will wind up with like 250 yards of total offense, with like only 180 or 90 being passing. I think his legs will be a huge factor in this game. Uh, you want you want Blake Corum, you want your Heisman Trophy candidate to walk away healthy. I mean. That is – you could make an argument that Blake Corum being healthy is more important than Michigan winning this game. Okay, like, don't – you know, like, Corum has got to walk away healthy. But either way, he'll start busting them off. There, I think you're going to see a bunch of Michigan other players in this game. That is what – uh, uh khaki pants has been doing for the last couple of weeks in my mind is calling the dogs off pretty early in some of these games just to get away healthy so I'll start out I mean we kind of see the same thing I think Illinois' defense will show out well it'll keep them in the game but in the end there's just too much talent I've got Michigan 30 Illinois 10 so that is an ever so slight cover for Michigan and at 40 points I got that just going under the game total
1: we're pretty close. I got Michigan 29, Illinois 13, so that's an Illinois cover, and at 42, that's an under.
0: That is very close. All right, next game up, the Interim Bowl, brought to you by Zip Recruiter, <laughs> the 5-5 five and five Wisconsin Badgers at the 3-7 and seven Nebraska H- Huskers. It's an 11 o'clock a.m. game on ESPN, line Badgers by 13, over-under 39, so Vegas is saying something like a 27 to 13 Badgers victory. What are we looking at here?
1: I feel like, you know, that magic trick where you put the, the ball under three cups and then you just rotate it around. I feel like that's what Nebraska's quarterback situation is. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell we're going to see. I, it sounds like Casey Thompson may be back on the field. Um, I don't know that for a fact, obviously. It, that's going to be a huge factor in this game. Um, I I don't know. I think, this screams to me that Jim Leonard is going to be pissed off that they lost to Iowa, um, and he's going to be out for blood this game. I think that he's got he he wants to prove a point. We just talked about him being an interim head coach. Um, to me, I, I I think Wisconsin's this comes down to Wisconsin's offense and Nebraska's defense. Can Nebraska's defense at some point in this game bow up a little bit? Because I think. Um, I think we know what we're going to get from Wisconsin's defense. I think there will be some available plays there for Nebraska on the offensive side. Not a lot, but can Nebraska slow Wisconsin down, keep this a low scoring game. And then maybe you get creative on the offensive side, get the ball to Trey Palmer or or somebody um, that can create some plays. They've got to, to me, Nebraska has got to keep Wisconsin out of the end zone. They got to keep this low scoring if they want a chance. I don't know if that's going to be something they're able to do because, Outside of the the Iowa game, since Jim Leonard has taken over, their offense has looked pretty good for the most part. They've been running the ball extremely well. Graham Mertz is is still Graham Mertz, so maybe that that might be a factor. If Nebraska can create a few turnovers, that might be big as well.
0: Yeah, um, bring up great points. One thing that I would say is one of the sneaky good bets over the last four or five years has actually been taking the over in the Nebraska Wisconsin game, if you go back and look, there's typically a ton of points scored. Why is that? Scott Frost had the he, he was the he, he was the, the serum to whatever Jim Leonhard had put out. Like his offense just jived versus Jimmy Leonard, but he's gone now, man. So, yeah. so that is gone and out with it. Uh, Whipple is he hurt his knee, he'll be coaching the offense from up in the booth for the next two games. And then who's rolling out there at quarterback? In my mind, Thompson is questionable. Uh for the most part for this prediction, I am going under the assumption that he's not playing. Purdy is out. Smothers is not the quarterback that that Whipple wants to have running his offense. It's just it's a, you know, square peg round hole type of thing. The next guy down is somebody with the last name Senick. S-Y-N-E-K, and the the cynic in me does not believe Nebraska is going to find a lot of available yards versus this uh, um, Wisconsin defense, who certainly Iowa's offense made them look better last week. But part of it is because, gee, I don't know, Wisconsin's defense is rounding into being a Wisconsin defense like they have every year under Jim Leonard. They just had a lot of new faces and injuries this year. I think this Wisconsin defense is ready to go. On the other side, as far as defense, Nebraska's defense has looked better. Shout out to Luke Reimer and Freshman Hausman. That guy has been looking uh, uh, good. Uh, The linebackers have been good. So I do think this is going to be a game that's going to be it's going to be in the competition for the low scoring game of the day uh, in the Big Ten. You know, like I, I'm not saying that that's how it's going to be, but I do think it's going to be a more low, low scoring game. And unfortunately, right now, unless somehow Nebraska can force a bunch of 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 uh, interceptions from Grand Mertz, which could happen, I, I don't see Nebraska having enough short fields and special teams plays in order to put up a ton of points versus Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I just don't think they have the big playability. If if they can hit on a few of those, it gives them a good shot. If they can create some turnovers, some merts, they got a shot. But otherwise, I don't it looks to me, it looks pretty bleak. It, did you have anything else you wanted to add? I'll jump into mine.
0: No, basically I would say if the big plays happen, they better score touchdowns because if if Wisconsin gets Nebraska into the red zone the drives are going to stall out. So it better be Thompson. They better be hitting the YOLO passes. I always got to get that in. They better be hitting the YOLO passes to Trey Palmer for touchdowns. That's how Nebraska would have to get points on the board. But go ahead.
1: Yeah, I've got Wisconsin 30, Nebraska 10. So that's an easy Wisconsin cover. And at 40, that's an ever so slight over.
0: Okay. Um, I also have Nebraska at 10, but I have Wisconsin only at 21. So that's actually a Nebraska- Cover and at 31 points, I've got that eight points under the 39 point total. Uh, That started at 41 and it's down to 39, two points on a a game total. When it starts that low, that's actually quite a bit. All right. Next game up the one and nine Northwestern Wildcats at the six and four Purdue Boilermakers, 11 o'clock a.m. game on FS1 line. Boilermakers by 19 and a half. Game total is 46 points. So Vegas is saying something like 34. To 14 Boilermakers. Watch out Boiler fans. Northwestern does not have a number anywhere near their team name. So you better be you better be scared on how the Boilermakers actually come out and look focused in this game.
1: I agree with that. And also it's supposed to I actually looked at the weather involving Purdue this time looks like it's supposed to be clear, but it's supposed to be pretty cold. So that makes me a little bit nervous about that game. Uh, I think this team has some momentum, but I don't know. Something about this just tells me that they're going to be looking ahead to Indiana and a chance to, I don't know. Well, in a couple of weeks, they might be able to clinch the division, but um, six and four, you've clinched bull eligibility. You just got a big win um, over Illinois. Obviously you're right in the thick of the big 10 West race. I want to see, because Northwestern's run defense, and, and their defense in general is so bad, this is where I want to see a lot of Devin McAvee. I don't want to see Aiden O'Connell give Northwestern any gleam of hope. I want to see them throw the ball. I mean, they're going to come out and throw the ball, but if you get a two-touchdown lead, it's time to ground and pound. They are going to be more than capable of of cranking out some yards against Northwestern's defense. To me, just don't, just don't risk it. I the only way Northwestern can win this game is if there's a lot of incompletions, if there's some turnovers and you give them a chance. Don't, please, for the love of God, don't do that.
0: Dude, we, I don't know if it's because we've been recording with each other for three months now almost that, you know, we're just kind of falling in step. Or it's just obvious what you're looking at this week in some of these games. That's exactly what I have. I have here, play a clean game. game. If Purdue literally just plays a clean game, they're going to win by 10 points or probably more. I mean, closer to the almost 20-point spread that you have here. Uh, There really isn't any advantage I've seen this week. Um, Fitzy, if you want to give an idea of just how bad it is, Fitzy even admitted that if people from the outside were questioning that he should make changes on the coaching staff, he understands it. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is something that you've never heard Fitzy say. For, I don't know, since he's been the head coach at Northwestern, that he the outside noise is so loud that he has to kind of answer to it a little bit. That's what a 1-9 and uh, uh, record will bring into your house. And as far as Northwestern, I mean, here, here's what I would do. I would focus on what you're telling Purdue to focus on, which is yeah. my focus would be stop Devin Mockaby, don't let him kill you, but on the other side, run the ball. You, you have to figure out a way – to run the ball in Purdue, Iowa ran the ball in Purdue, and it hasn't been especially great at running the ball this year. Northwestern's had snippets of running the ball pretty well with Evan Hall. Stop the run, run the ball, pray that AOC gives the ball to you. That is one hundred percent the recipe Northwestern has to have to try to win this game.
1: Wow. Okay, so we we just dif- we differ a little bit. I okay. Think- The only thing I would say, I don't totally disagree because I do think at times you've been able to see Evan Hole and Northwestern's rushing attack do some good things. But I still think that Purdue's secondary, I still think that there are some holes there, and I think Northwestern could take some advantage of it. I don't know that it's going to be – like they're not going to throw for 300 yards, don't get me wrong. But I think that you could do some things through the air that helps your offense out.
0: I'm not saying don't take shots to the one receiver you have. Okay. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying you better have a ground game very well established before you start doing that.
1: All right. Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, st- I don't know. I would set yeah. up, I would, I would set up the pass. but that we'll just, we'll disagree just yeah. to disagree on yeah, that. We'll see how it goes. I think this is going to be an ugly game, but I do think Purdue wins. I have Purdue 33 Northwestern 16. So that's a Northwestern cover. And at 49, that's an over.
0: At one point, I had 31 to 16, but I decided to revise this to Purdue 30, Northwestern 13. So that's a Northwestern cover. And at 43 points, I got that just going under the game total. All right. Next game up, the three and seven Indiana Hoosiers at the five and five Michigan State Spartans, 11 o'clock a.m. game. Yes, we're still in the morning on Big Ten Network uh, line, Spartans by 10 and a hook over under 47. So Vegas is saying something like 30 to 19 Spartans. Um, We think the Spartans are going to win this game. I expect the Spartans to win this game. With that being said, there's a little bit of a spidey sense I have here that they better come into this game focused. You know, they've, they've, they've got a nice two game winning streak going that they deserve. With that being said, I don't mean this in a too derogatory tone to Michigan state, but you're not so good that you could just roll your hats off uh, out there versus Indiana, come out and play hard. You're going to need that even at home to, to handle Indiana at least to the point where you're covering the spread.
1: And I feel like this is, this is a time where when Michigan state, you guys talk about the Hoosier line quite a bit with, with different teams I know, but I feel like when Michigan state has played a really good team, they've really struggled to, to run the football when they've played bad teams, they've, they've run the football way more effectively. I think that this is a game where they can establish the run. Um, I think behind Jalen Berger and and Jarek Broussard, I think that they have a a nice one, two punch that Indiana is not going to be able to stop. And I I kind of am questioning at this point, you know, one of the things I talked about all season was we never really saw the same give up from Indiana this year uh, that we saw last year, but, the last two games, I just don't see any fight from this team left. Um, I talked about it last week. Get some of those notes. Give Dexter Williams a football. Let him see what he can do. Maybe there's a a factor maybe of we don't have enough on film of him of what he can do. Maybe you can surprise. Maybe you can catch Michigan State off guard a little bit. Um, That defense certainly isn't stalwart, but – we wrote Michigan State off a few weeks ago and all they've done is won 3 of their last 4 games with their only loss being to an undefeated Michigan team. So, they've found their stride a little bit. I do think that um like you said, they can't just roll their helmets out walk onto the field because I think Indiana there's a little bit of pride there, but I think if you go out if Michigan State's able to able to deliver the first punch, I don't think IUs is going to get off the mat.
0: Yeah, um you pretty much hit on the stuff there, which is uh, I would think with Michigan State still fighting for bowl eligibility, I would think they would be pretty interested at getting this win. I mean, I know I'm stating a stupid, obvious thing; they're obviously interested in the win. But like coming out focused and hard, and and taking any kind of of stress out of this game, so I would expect a strong start for for Michigan State. I, I, I do. Um, I just I don't know. There's something a little bit off with how I feel about this game in the in the little bit of everybody seems to not even be paying attention to this being a game uh, yet. The spread has hovered around 10 points. I mean, the way people are talking about this this game, you would think it would be a 14 to like 17-point spread. So if that's – some people might look at that and say that's too low, so they would bet on Michigan State to cover. Vegas has – they came out with that 10-point line and have stayed there for a reason. So that is what is getting signaled to me, is that for some reason Vegas thinks this is going to be a close game. And on top of it, I don't know, Illinois can cause fits – or uh, Indiana can cause fits every now and then with what they do offensively. Um, I do think uh, Indiana will have a little bit of success running the ball not not a lot not you know but just a little bit on enough to keep Michigan State off balance to get some points on the board in the end you know I think it's more of a Michigan State gets out to a big lead and Indiana kind of comes back and does a backdoor cover so I got Michigan State 30. Indiana 24, so that is an Indiana cover, and at 54 points,
1: I got that going a touchdown over. Well, you got quite a few more points than I do. I've got Michigan State 28, Indiana 17, so that's a Michigan State cover, and that's an under. The...
0: Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel aging technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produce one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sip-neat or is perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to Big Ten football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag ask for Amador and check out our new website and finder option so you can see where to find Amador at www.amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador Whiskey, born in Kentucky, raised in California. Moving on into the afternoon, we got three games because of course it's illegal to have any games at night in November in the Big 10, the 10 and O. Number 2 ranked Ohio State Buckeyes at the 6 and 4 Maryland Terrapins. This is a 230 p.m. game on ABC line. Buckeyes by 27 and a half over under 64.5. So Vegas is saying something along the lines of 45 to 17. Um, you know, clue uh, uh bring on the admiral akbar. It's a trap. It's about <laughs> it's about the only thing that I can find here to think that Maryland. Would walk away with a win. Some people would say that Maryland would even walk away, making this game somewhat competitive. I don't know. That again, like conspiracy theories on how to try to figure out
1: how Maryland can hang out, hang around with Ohio State. I'm just gonna. My analysis is very slim on this. I think if Maryland covers, that's a victory for Locks and the Terps. I, I just. In the, I wish I would have done this research because it just dawned on me when you were talking about it. I wonder almost what the final score was or what the average margin of victory is for Ohio State in these lead-up games against Michigan because I, they've never lost two in a row. So um, I don't know. I just think – I feel like this is going to be a game where Ryan Day wants to throw the ball. You see Jay Stroud quite a bit. They've got they've – got, probably protect their running backs as much as possible, but get out to a big lead – And then just protect the football late in the game and try not to get anybody hurt. That's what I expect. I think Ohio State's going to come out guns blazing. Like that Michigan State game last year where they scored 35 points in like the first eight minutes or whatever it was. I feel like maybe it's not that bad this year, but I think that's the mindset Ryan Day has going into this. Don't even make it a contest. Don't even give them hope. You know, go for the knockout blow early and then just protect the football the rest of the game. 100%.
0: Hundred uh, percent. Again, it, it's something that's interesting about this era of college football, and I, I don't necessarily like it. I'm just pointing it out because I think it has to. It, 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 it's accurate, which is believe it or not, uh, Ohio State and Michigan not only want to win, they want to make statement wins, yeah. even in games like this, because something that little could come down to a resume thing between them and essentially Tennessee. Uh, if they are the team that does not win the game next weekend, they are now up against Tennessee to try to get in the college football playoffs. That's what we think. So getting out to a big start, finishing strong. Yes, that I do believe that plays into what this prediction would be. Um, the only way that Maryland's got a shot is if it's a shootout. That is what it has to be. It has to be something crazy going down where Maryland is is making stuff happen, Locks has got the thing going, Leah is dealing. Like, I feel like we've been waiting all season to see that type of performance out of this passing attack. I'm not saying this week is the week it happens because this Ohio State defense is, is better than I think a lot of people get, but I will say this. I think it's a situation where even if it's not working in the form of turnovers, you still try to do it because – it's what locks knows how to do. And he knows it's the only way to make this a fun game into the second half.
1: Right. I mean, I feel like you're, you got nothing to lose in this game. Nobody's going to pick you to win. You there's nothing to lose. So take your shots. I don't care if it's, it doesn't ultimately it doesn't matter on your end, if it's 35 to 10 or 63 to zero. Yep. No, people are literally not going to look any different in that. Correct. Yep. Uh, so I've got Ohio State, 48, Maryland, 14. That's an Ohio State cover, and at 62, that's an under.
0: Okay, uh, so we diverge again. Um, I I see potential points on the board with a okay. little bit distracted Ohio State defense. If this was playing in the horseshoe, I would have a completely different prediction, but it's going to be a night game on the road. I think Locks is going to want to at least have a little bit of something going uh, uh to be able to show to people that his offenses are still humming along with that being said nobody's stopping Ohio State right now and it sure as heck ain't going to be this Maryland defense I've got Ohio State 52 Maryland 24 that is a half point cover for Ohio State I think that is a tough one to pick because of backdoor cover capabilities for Maryland and at 76 points I've got that going way over and in fact that's my Amador double barrel. Lock of the week. All right, moving on to uh, our second afternoon game: the eight and two, number eleven ranked Penn State Nittany Lions at the four and six, Rutgers Scarlet Knights. This is a two thirty p.m. game on Big Ten Network line. Penn State by nineteen over under forty five points in this game. So Vegas is saying something like thirty three to thirteen Nittany Lions. DS, I got a crazy stat. For you, okay. from our from our guy Perk. Okay, it's a stat that I'm going to quiz you on, then I'll give it to you. Since joining the Big Ten, Rutgers. What is the most points Rutgers has scored in the Penn State Rutgers series?
1: Oh, wait, so now 2014
0: most points scored by Rutgers against the Penn State defense.
1: I want to say it's like ten you nailed it. It is 10. Yes. <laughs>
0: Good job. Good job. I kind of led into you knowing that perk hand delivered the stat to me as a Penn state fan. So you knew it was going to be a low number, but you yeah. still nailed it. My friend, that's that I
1: thought you were going to guess 13. I was, I was actually pondering between 10 and 13. And I thought, I don't know. I don't think they've scored. I I didn't even know that they scored 10. I thought that might even be a little bit high. So yeah,
0: <laughs> we, uh, we just got done with a rough uh, breakdown of Penn State Maryland and what that series looks like. I can assure you, the Penn State Rutgers does not look any better. Penn State has absolutely uh, owned this series. The other side of it is, Dustin, you were you were a big man. You admitted when you were you were wrong about something, which is that you know the false impression that Penn State just falls apart after they lose the Michigan or Ohio state game, not really the the case, especially not the case this year. In fact, I think they've accelerated in games since they've played Ohio state. This, this is a filthy Penn state team that I wish more people around the country really watched and, and, and appreciated. Um, I'll be honest with you. It's tough for me to see them moving up any further than 10th or 11th, which is kind of where they're at. Like I, It's just tough how the teams above them kind of rank and file. Um, With that being said, this is a Penn State team that's clicking.
1: This is a Penn State team that I I know we've talked about. If there was a 12-team playoff, there's not one team in that that would want to play Penn State. I can promise you that. Um, I mean, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. um, I don't know if one of those guys is going to win Big Ten Freshman of the Year, but they are going to be all Big Ten All-Freshman. They have been outstanding. I just, I, I, think Rutgers' defense, we saw it again last week. They played solid against Michigan State, but eventually the dam broke, and, and Michigan State was able to get some points out. Um, look, I mean, Rutgers fights every single week. Um, they just still don't have the talent, especially in the trenches, to put up with some of these guys. Um, and I think Penn State t- still takes this game, for what for what it's worth, they clearly take this game personally to not allow 10 points, like not even allow – A a junk touchdown late in the game to get to 17 or 20 points at any point. They take this game personally. Um, This is this is another. I feel like a broken record because I feel like I go through this the the motions. I think what we did see from Rutgers against Michigan State. I'll bring this up. I did think that Shiano in that offense. I thought they got a little bit more creative against Michigan State. They They tried to do some things, um, and that's something that you had called for last week. You know, mix it up, do something a little bit different because you're not going to be able to ground and pound against a lot of these Big Ten East teams. Just like Maryland, just give it a shot. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There's nothing to lose in this game. You've got to try to um, – four and six are not probably going to get to a bowl game. But if you want to keep those hopes alive, you're going to have to get creative. So just try to do something offensively. I don't know. I think the defense, much like Illinois Michigan, I think they can maybe keep Penn State intact uh, in a little bit, maybe through the first half. But then eventually the rushing attack is just too potent. Yeah,
0: um, I mean, Greg Shiano teams fight. I mean, that's what they do. Um, I hear what you're saying, but that's – I hear what you're saying about the about Rutgers needing to take chances on offense. But at the same time, that's the conundrum that Shiano and the offense is in because when Gavin Wimsett takes chances, the chances don't wind up very well as far as the results. So, like, it's tough calling plays right now. They did look better. They look crisper last week. So, I do think we'll see – A little bit more of that. I just think that the competition has stepped up quite a bit this week playing Penn State. Because by the way, shout out to Manny Diaz, or as you say, Manny Diaz. That is a defense that it very quietly people are not paying attention to it. They they have turned into a destructive defense. Like I just don't. I don't feel like he's not getting any pub. It's weird. It's one of the well-known defensive coordinators in the country playing at one of the coaching at one of the well-known. Uh, uh, Big Ten programs, and you don't hear about it. I mean, they, they look incredible, and he deserves more credit than I feel like he's getting for that.
1: This is what pisses me off, because they get two losses and, and, eventually, and they're essentially they're out of the college football playoff, they're out of the Big Ten East race, and everybody ignores it. Meanwhile, LSU gets beat by Florida State and LSU, and we still talk about them being a top five, six, potentially playoff team. Like, P- Penn State's a really good football team, so um, I, I completely agree with you. They don't get enough recognition. Like I said, I there have been times this season when I thought they were really good. There were times I thought they might crash. This is a really good football team. This this is going to be an 11-win team, I think.
0: Yep, sure looks like it. Um, we'll go to the predictions now. Uh, long story short is, you know, Rutgers still technically has a chance to make a bowl. You know, I mean, obviously they, they win this game. They got Maryland next week, so you know Shiano is, is hitting them on that. Heck, we might be hitting them on that. We could even get in at 5-7. and seven. They did it last year, but in the end, I just think at some point, like I think it's a tight game. I think the 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 first half under bet, it's 23 and a half. Uh maybe something that you look at right there. I don't know if there's that many points at halftime. By the end of the game, I think you see Penn State break loose a little bit. Uh so I got Penn State 30. Rutgers 10 so again just an ever so slight cover by Penn State by the way that's my second 30 to 10 prediction on this podcast too I didn't try to do it it's just what I'm seeing and at 40 points I've got that going under the game total of
1: 45. I didn't know off the top of my head I didn't know that Penn State stat Uh, so I think Penn State keeps that stat rolling I've got Penn State 37 Rutgers 6 so that's a Penn State cover, and at 43, that's an under. And Penn State covering that 19.5 point spread is my Amador double barrel lock of the week.
0: Fantastic. Moving into our last game on the podcast the Big 10 game of the week, getting 76% of the 907 votes. The battle for the Floyd of Rosedale, the six and five Iowa Hawkeyes coming. Into my territory, baby, to take on the seven and three Minnesota Golden Gophers. This is a three o'clock p.m. game on Fox. Line Gophers by three, over under thirty two point <laughs> five. Oh, just, just chef's kiss, amazing. So Vegas is-, is saying Vegas, yes, Vegas is saying seventeen to fifteen <laughs> Gophers. Hey, D.S., yes, a 10 to 7 halftime score would be trending over in this game.
1: Oh my yes.
0: Like anytime, any boy, anybody that gambles on an under in any college football game, you know what you're dreaming of for a halftime score? 10 to 7. Like if you had at 10 to 7, you got you got the under 52, you're like, oh man, I'm looking great. 10 to 7 <laughs> trends over in this game. Shout out to our guy, Jason Kemp at Jason Kemp. He had one of the coolest and most uh, uh, interesting questions that he put out to DS and Kurt and I this week on the podcast. So right now, it's going to be cold. Uh, Mrs. Greek, Big Kurt, I cannot believe I'm getting Big Kurt uh, to come to this game. By the way, I got tickets from Klein Auto World. So shout out on the podcast to Klein Auto World. Great place to go shopping for a car here locally in the Twin Cities. Uh, Got some great tickets for the game. Kurt's going, Mrs. Greek and I are going, it's going to be cold. We are looking at 17 degrees for the local temperature with some 10 to 15 mile per hour winds, which I can assure you does not help. So what Jason Kemp's question was, what is going to be the higher number in this game? The amount of points scored by Iowa, the amount of points scored by Minnesota, or the temperature in this game that's predicted at 17? It is absolutely a fantastic question.
1: It is. We got to. I got to remember to keep track of that because it's yes. going to be. I, it's just insane. I can't remember anything. I'm sure there's been. We've had conversations about that in the past, but I can't remember th- anything quite as relevant, especially since both teams are still in the um, the uh, Big Ten West race. Okay. And
0: by and by the way, so the total in the game of Iowa, Minnesota, and the temperature would be forty nine and a half. So like. <laughs> so not <laughs> even not even close to the Ohio State Maryland over under.
1: <laughs> So pretty close to Ohio State's team total that I predicted. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to start this off with, we like conspiracy theories. All right. So typically, the triangle of confusion, I used to call it, where P.J. Fleck always beat Jeff Brom. Jeff Brom always beat Kirk Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz always beats P.J. Fleck. We've had the reverse of that, where Jeff Brom beat P.J. Fleck, um... Kirk Ferentz, oh, no, beat- I Kirk Ferentz beat Jeff Brom. Yep. Jeff Brom beat P.J. Fleck. Is it finally time that P.J. Fleck beats Kirk Ferentz? The things I don't like about this game: um, you have a young quarterback. If you're Minnesota, in Ethan Manis. Um, I still I think I mean Mo Ibrahim is healthy. He's going to play, but how? At what strength is he? And against the Iowa defense, I think you need to be as close to 100 percent as you can possibly be, I don't know, man. I just saw Iowa's defense whip Wisconsin from start to finish, and it makes me wonder what Minnesota's going to be able to do offensively. Now, defensively, I think they can stack up pretty well. But the other part of this, too, is – and I don't want to talk about both teams too much right out the gate, but Spencer Petrus has been doing just enough to move the ball through the air to get this offense rolling – and like you said, if they could have the 88th best offense, this can be a really dangerous team. <laughs> he played well against Northwestern. He turned into Purdue Petris in West Lafayette. I, I don't know. I think this Iowa offense poses a little bit more of a problem against the Minnesota defense than the Minnesota offense presents to the Iowa defense, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, um, you know, talking about Minnesota, there's plenty of motivation here, right? Uh, they are still alive to get to Indianapolis, albeit at a lesser chance than both Purdue and, and Iowa. Uh, Purdue and Iowa don't necessarily control their own destiny, but they do much more than than Minnesota does. With that being said, this is Iowa. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but they have a cheer. We hate <laughs> Iowa. It's very, it's very clever. Um, also this is the two year anniversary of coach Ferris saying we figured we'd leave the timeout timeouts and take Floyd home, dude. I'm sorry. It's one of the best baller moves I've ever heard. I've <laughs> even had gopher fans. say, like, dude, that, that was pretty legit. I don't know who Minnesota hates more. Like I, I sometimes think, I think they hate Iowa more, but want to win the Wisconsin game or maybe it's reverse. Maybe they. Hate Wisconsin more and want to win the Iowa game more. I don't know, Gopher fans would have to to uh, explain that to me. But I can assure you, any of those fifth year seniors, heck, there's six year seniors on this team that have never beat Iowa. I can't imagine that you're going to get a more focused Gopher team than what was going to see here on on Saturday. Um, as far as flipping over to to Iowa, the first thing I just want to say is like I still don't get why people are so upset about Iowa at, at six and four potentially winning out and getting into Indianapolis. Like, like my question to people is let's say Iowa had a little bit worse defense, but a better offense. However, they were still sitting at six and four, but instead of losing to Iowa state 10 to seven, if they lost 27 to 24, you know, or if they lost at Wisconsin or beat Wisconsin by the same amount, but it was, you know, they scored 38 and gave up 24, would that be different? You know, like all of a sudden Iowa would be a sexier 6 and 4 team. I digress. It's just the weirdest thing to me that people get up so upset about that. With that being said, as far as Iowa's offense, we all know it struggled all year long. When it had it showed signs of life versus a bad Northwestern offense and a not so great Purdue defense, definitely regressed last week. People are going to view that just as in a bubble. Me I think it has more to do with with the fronts. For whatever reason, the blocking schemes, the zone blocking schemes that Iowa has against 3-4 defense does not work as well as it does against 4-3 defenses, which is what Minnesota runs. Does that mean I think uh, Iowa's offense is going to explode? No, I do not think it's going to explode. However, Iowa freshman running back Caleb Johnson I think will look somewhere in between how he looked against Purdue and how he looked against Wisconsin. So not nearly as good as he did against Purdue, not as bad as he did against Wisconsin, but enough to get the offense going a little bit and keep Minnesota's defense off balance for a few series here and there.
1: Well, and, and the thing that I keep going back to, and I understand that the Purdue game, Minnesota didn't have Mo Ibrahim. That makes a huge difference, despite what some people might think. Um, And then the Illinois game, they, they, when they have played really good defenses, they have struggled. And they the, the offense struggled against Nebraska. And I know they've had a lot of moving parts. They've dealt with a ton of injuries. They've had some rotation at the quarterback position. The problem to me is I still don't know if this team – well, I do know. They can't they can't throw the ball really effectively enough against a team like Iowa because I think I think the ground game is going to be there in the capacity that they need it to be there to win yep. but you have to be able to complement that through the air and I just don't think they have the weapons at, at receiver or with the the banged up quarterback situation I don't think they they are in a good spot there either so that's what that's why I keep saying I if they can hit a, a big play here or there then maybe that gives them some life like I said I think that they're their defense will stack up pretty well against Iowa's offense. Their defense has played well for most of the season. I don't think that's going to change this week. Um, but again, it's just to me, you don't have the complementary pieces offensively that you need to have. I think they can keep it close, but unless, they, unless they're unless they able to bust off some big pass plays in this game, that's where I see trouble.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have nothing but respect for Mo Ibrahim. Um, I compared him to Emmett Smith. As yeah. a as a an NFL running back, some people like that comparison. Some people very much did not like that comparison. But I think it's my thought process was he finds available yards, great vision, maybe not the most top end speed that you've seen all the time. Like I got nothing but respect for Mo. If he has 112 yards in this game, that's a great effort versus this uh, Iowa defense. I think he will be right around that 100 yard mark because I have that much faith in Mo. It's what you kind of point out. How can Minnesota, you know, go off of that decent rushing attack to have success? Maybe it's Brevin Spanford, okay? Maybe he's enough to keep Iowa off balance, but I think you would have to have shots down the field to, to Dalen Wright or Daniel Jackson, who everybody is waiting to take off. Maybe this is the game where you just say, screw it, you throw it up to see if those guys can go change the complexion of the game by making a big play or two. But on the other side of that, are you going to do that and take a risk at throwing into the teeth of the Iowa defense and them turning the ball over? I would love to sit in the offensive uh, game plan room this week with Minnesota on how they, what their game plan is to attack this, this Iowa defense. So it's going to be incredible. Um, Another thing to point out is actually the games at Kinnick have been closer games versus Iowa and Minnesota up here for the last two or three times they played. That's where Iowa's had the bigger, uh, uh, quote-unquote, blowout victories. Minnesota got one in there back in 2014, the last time they beat Iowa, actually. Um, don't see that this week. This There is just too much similarities going on here between these two teams. One great defense and one damn good defense, one struggling offense and one offense that's okay as long as they get Mo going. I, I There's just too much Spider-Man meme going on here. Um, Iowa got big points last weekend off special teams and turnovers. I think Minnesota is going to do everything they can to not spoon feed the turnovers or special teams to
1: Iowa this week. This is what I was going to ask before jumping into the predictions. What, what do you think the, the pass total pass attempts is going to be for Minnesota? Because my, my, my thought behind this is, I think PJ is going to say, we're going to run the ball, throw it very sparingly. And then, Hope that Iowa's offense makes a mistake and gives us good field position. That would I'll be say, my
0: strategy. I, I, I agree with you. Um, it seems like it's going to be Ethan Caliogmanis that's going to be the starting quarterback. A debate one could have is who would you rather have as the starting quarterback in this game versus a team like Iowa, Manis or Tanner Morgan. Anyways, it's probably a moot point. I guess one X factor in this game is how many touches Ethan Manis has combining with pass attempts and him keeping the ball in zone reads and running the ball. That to me might be a way that they try to play off of Mo and crease Iowa's defense. So that's something that you can look at. If that happens, I got to think, Um, um, uh, Phil Parker adjusts to it, but that's another kind of facet to this game. This is an old school game. If you don't like it, eh, piss on you. You know, I love it. I'm going to love being there as long as I can stay warm. i ain't as young as I used to be brother, Uh, but I'm hoping it's a game that goes by pretty quick in the end. I just feel like Iowa is somehow more battle tested in these games this year. I feel like they've got things running, but I'm not overly confident, but I've got Iowa 16, Minnesota 13, obviously with Iowa being a dog, that's an Iowa cover. And at 29 points, I've still got it going under that 32 and a half point game total.
1: Well, everybody's going to like boo and hiss me now Um, because I I'm with you. I think, I think uh, I really like what Iowa's doing right now. I've picked against them a lot in these big games this season. I'm putting my faith in Kirk Ferentz this week. I have Iowa 20, Minnesota 17, so that's obviously an Iowa cover. And at 37, boo hiss. That's an over.
0: What's more ballsy this week? Picking the under or the over in this game—that's that's the the under is you're you're picking under the lowest game total we have, I believe, ever seen since the year two thousand since they've been looking. But on the other side, if you pick over, you're going to get the slings
1: and arrows from Twitter and people listening to the podcast. You know what changed my mind was the fact that Iowa played so well defensively and got a defensive touchdown and got great field position. I just I can't put money on the on the under because I'm thinking what happens if there's if like Manis throws a pick 6, Spencer Peaches throws a pick 6. I feel like that's an additional touchdown. So I had to take the over.
0: Let's be honest, that's where the over under lies, right? right? When I broke down this game in my head, I I essentially was thinking to myself, Does Iowa cover by quite a bit and go over the game total because they force a mistake, pick six, a special teams play? I just don't think they will. Okay. I think, I think, um, um, PJ is going to have Minnesota so coached up to protect the football and stay in the game. I think that's what will wind up making this thing as tight as can be and and it winds up staying, staying under. But let's be honest. I mean, two players two plays can put this thing over like a pick six or a big special teams play. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you get 14 points on the board you're like, well, I'm screw it. This thing's going over now. But anyways, uh, to me, it's going to be a fun game to watch. There are a lot of people, that are going to make fun of Iowa, make fun of the game in total. Guess what? They're going to tune in to watch this game because it's a little bit of a car wreck situation. You're going to peek and see what the what the two vehicles look like that, that hit each other going head-to-head head and see what the damage is. People are going to tune in and watch this game, and I think it's going to be a decently fun one.
1: I'm going to get some pulled pork in honor of Floyd this weekend. Grab some beer, grab some pulled pork, and, and enjoy some Iowa-Minnesota at 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock what? Central. You better pull that pork from iowa
0: because it ain't been in minnesota for a long time brother i have i have fathered two kids remodeled the house i've done a lot of stuff since the last time uh minnesota beat iowa all right you got anything else brother that's it from me i'm jeffrey the greek i'm not big kurt this has been the eyes on big podcast we'll talk to you soon